Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Hi, I'm Colin Ellis. Welcome to our show on Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. This week, we're talking about marriage, migration, and what happens when they overlap. So, marriage. I've never been married, but I hear good things. I love going to weddings. One thing I notice about all of them is when the bride and groom go over to this little table and sign something important. That would be the marriage license. Because yes, like most things in life, marriage is a contract. Sounds like a pretty unromantic way of describing a loving, lifelong commitment between two people. But legally, that's what it is. And yet, what if the relationship itself, how a couple meets, how they arrange family life, what if that was a formal arrangement too? It's about this contract among this group of men and women of taking care of your family in Thailand on the one hand and also raising a family in Denmark. That's anthropologist Sina Plumbeck. She and her husband, filmmaker Janis Mitz, spent 10 years following married couples in northern Denmark brought together by marriage migration. That's when someone immigrates to a country by marrying a citizen there. Over the last 20 years, the number of Danish men seeking out and marrying women from Thailand has skyrocketed. The arrangement isn't explicit, but it isn't exactly a secret either. A lot of the men in these marriages haven't been able to make relationships with Danish women work. They're looking for companionship, plain and simple. Many of the Thai women in return are trying to support their families back home. There's the women sending money back, which means that the children can go to better schools, um, that the, the parents can go to hospitals, you can build better houses, uh, and maybe you can buy a car or something that you need in order to work in the fields. So on the one hand, the Thai women are doing very much what you, from a political perspective, could expect the Thai state to do. In a part of Denmark called Ute, a lot of these marriages are credited to a woman named Somai, who plays a big part in the film. Before her, there were no Thai women in the area. Today, there are more than 900. And she married uh, the Danish man, Nils, um, and moved to this uh, kind of more remote area of Denmark and established this connection with a lot of other Thai women that she helps to find Danish men. So, are migration marriages really about love, or are they a convenient arrangement? What if they can be both? That and more coming up. Well, I always like to start by asking directors about the title of their film. So maybe you could just tell me a bit about why you call this film Heartbound. Yeah, it, 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 you know, sometimes titles come very quickly and sometimes you have to f- struggle to find the right title. And, and this one was, it's a film that I think is very hard to pin down because it's about a lot of things. It's a very, la- it's a very layered film. Uh, and I didn't want a title that was, you know, too concrete uh, about, you know, intercultural marriages or migration or split between two worlds. Or, so I thought, what is the, the, you know, the human heart of the story is really where, where and when does the heart find a home? And what, and what is the heart bound to? Places, people. It's, it's also a film about the fact that we as human beings cannot put a lid on our on our emotion. At some point, the heart will break out and speak its own language or, or you know, the, the things that we, you know, that we repress is going to come back to haunt us. So Heartbound 
tries to encapsulate all of that. I mean, it's obviously a film about m people that move, that migrate, women that migrate through marriage, and um, and it's a film about love. But I think the the sort of overriding existential themes of the film were were to me encapsulated by that title as well. Well, one of the people in the film is a, a woman named uh, Somai. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about her, Sina? So my um migrated many years ago to work in the in the sex industry because she was responsible for a large family in in northeastern Thailand uh, and decided that that was her way to kind of uh, get out of poverty and get her family out of poverty and then she has managed over these many years um, over 20 years to to raise her family out of poverty and she uh, married uh, the Danish man Nils um, and moved to this uh, kind of more remote area of Denmark and established this connection with a lot of other Thai women that she helps to find Danish men. <laughs> So Maya is one of the most impressive women I and and we have ever met. She's very powerful and in in her way of uh, um, navigating through life. And she's helped like how many women uh, in this journey? She says that she has helped 16 women, but those women have again helped others and others. So when she initially moved to this area called Tu in Denmark, um, there was almost no one uh, in the area uh, but a few. And, and she really kind of started that migration uh, system. Yeah, and so there's about, I think, is it 900 women now total from yeah, Thailand? Yeah, yeah. And can you just talk a bit about um, the effect on the part of Denmark that they're in? I mean, the effect is mm, they they join really the local labor markets, the um, the industries, the the factories. It's an area where there's uh, um, a need for for women and and men who wants to work in the in the factory. So they have really joined that in late night shifts, cleaning jobs. Um, that's one part, and the other part is, of course, that they. Uh, are a visible part of the the landscape in the sense that you will see these couples walk around in in the local communities. I think it's also the, you know, we, we're talking about outskirt communities that 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 get depopulated in the sense that women that work in the service sectors leave to work in the cities. So so there's also a lot of men without women left out there, you know, on the on the farm or working in sort of heavy industry or the fishing industries. And um, and you could say that, they, that these Thai women fill up uh, a need for, for, for these lonely, lonely men out in, the, out in the outskirts. And is there, um, do they face any kind of prejudice when they arrive? Like, what's, the, what's been the community's, I guess, reaction to them being there? Um, I think it's very ambiguous. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of prejudice and stigma around these types of relationships, mm. but uh, but I think when when you're down at a local level, and we, I mean we're really talking about small town villages, it's also you know it's your neighbor or it's your uh, it's your cousin, or so so there's an understanding of these kinds of lives as well, and 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 from that perspective they're welcomed, and um, and the women themselves are. Um, 
the ones we followed are, are often, you know, quite outgoing and, and and industrious. Like they'll have a little street sale of of vegetables that they've grown in their garden, or they bring food to their colleagues at work. Um, so, so in that sense, they're not they're not seen as a threat or, or frowned upon as as immigrants in the same way as you know we have in 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 most of Western Europe. Uh, big issues about you know xenophobia connected with migration at the moment, very much directed at people coming from Muslim countries, and and these women seem to kind of you know, slide into a different category. So they're not, like, perceived as, like, working in the sex trade, per se? Oh, oh, for sure. There's that, oh. too. There's That stigma is definitely there. Yeah. And it and it doesn't come from, from nothing, you know. There is a big migration of women also working in the sex industry uh, from Thailand. And this kind of marriage migration, I mean, it's also part of what the film explores. I mean, where, what is the, where are the boundaries between sex work, marriage migration, etc.? Do uh, Thai uh, men ever approach uh, Somai and ask her to be set up with a Danish woman? Does that ever happen? Only a few times, um, but she did talk about it. Hmm. Uh, but she's, she has never been able to do any matchmaking with a Thai man and a Danish woman. Why? Um, it's not, there's no demand from, from Danish women. <laughs> that That's what she would say. Uh, but I know that there are, I mean, the village that we portray in the film, um, we've, we very much follow uh, parents of daughters who want to go to Europe. But of course, some of those, uh, pa- the parents of sons, they are like, so what are the opportunities for, for the men here? Um, and so they would go and ask her, but she, she never really went into that. It, I mean, she also reacts to the demand from the men, and she hasn't been, uh, she hasn't met any uh, Danish women who have approached her to ask for a time in. The global landscape of sex tourism and marriage migration has a weird sort of flow, doesn't it? Because women tend to direct their attention on Africa or the Caribbeans. Yeah. There's not really Asian men, apparently not. Danish women are more traveling to West Africa or East Africa and, and marrying African men. Really? So that, that's but marriage they migration. Don't, but they don't often marry. It's like they go for a holiday and then they might have a... It's not that, there's not that many sort of no, marriage that's, that's migrants. That's the direction that they are taking. That's yeah. to Africa. Interesting. And it, it's just for fun, kind of? or No, they, they do actually marry. They but do not marry? not in the same numbers. Okay, yeah. fair enough. Um, Somai finds uh, a Danish husband for uh, her niece Kai. Um, they had a really interesting first weekend. Can you just talk a bit about what that was like? The first weekend between Kill and Yeah, I think they Kay. used a dictionary to communicate. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, they, they can't talk to each other. None of them speak. Uh, you know, Kill might know a few phrases in English, but she doesn't speak anything but Thai. So they they check out a dictionary and they try to get through with hand signs and body language. And uh, I mean, it's there's a lot at stake in this situation because for Gay, I mean, for Gay, this is really an opportunity, and that's what she's there for. She's in Denmark to find a, a man, and if she doesn't find that man. She will go back to Thailand and and f- to some sort of uncertain future, and she has a child that she needs to provide for. 
Um, and Kill, uh, you know, when we meet him in the story, <clears throat> we don't know really who he is. And then we find out later, and I'm sorry if I spoil a bit of the plot for some people, <laughs> but we find out later that his mom persuaded him to answer this personal ad that Samaya and Gaius placed in the local newspaper. So they have this, I think, very awkward, sweet kind of dance around each other, uh, <laughs> trying to figure it out. And, um, and it's certainly, you know, interesting and entertaining and fun to look at when you, when you put that on film. Yeah. Well, I, you mentioned uh, Kai's son. We should talk about him a bit, Mark. Um, I just thought it was kind of interesting to watch him, I guess, age, you know, from when he was a boy to uh, a teenager. I, w- I wonder what it was like, you know, you're following these uh, people for so long. What was it like to watch him acculturate to Danish life? I mean, certainly one of the most impressive things making a film over 10 years is to see children grow up mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and how they respond to being in, in Denmark. But also uh, the grown-ups, how they change. I mean, we have also matured with them, become, grown older with them. So, But, but obviously watching films grow older on, on camera is really an impressive um, aspect. And when we meet gay the first time as Janu said she didn't speak any Danish mm-hmm. uh, and then when we uh, started shooting again she spoke Danish she, she had a job she had been a, she was now a part of the Danish society mm-hmm. and they had a child together too right yeah they got a child uh, um, some years after how did the children of uh, these marriages uh, how did they I guess grow up in Denmark how are they looked upon I mean, um, on the one hand, uh, they are seen as kind of mm, a good second generation uh, migration migrant group uh, because they go to school and they integrate very easily. Um, and uh, but some of them also really struggling with being, as we saw with Mark, his taking away from Thailand. He has to leave his Thai dad behind, his grandparents. So this, where do I belong, is really a question that uh, that many of the Thai children are grappling with. Yeah. They're really the measure of success in, in terms of their mother's migration. Because if, if, if the child doesn't succeed, that means that the mother's, all the sacrifices that the mother did to raise a family out of poverty, to create a new life, to create new opportunity, has somehow failed. Um, and and that's why I thought the you know this longitudinal study of following these people for so for such a long time was really interesting because you you see when choices are made and down the line years later you see the consequences and sometimes things don't go the way people expect them to be most often you know life turns out differently than what we thought. How do they feel about you following them for so long? Um, well. I, it's a lot of things, you know. I think the the main thing and the thing that struck me the most is how much they took ownership of their own stories over, over the years. How much they were able to, you know, contextualize the importance of their stories um, and and the need to tell their stories. Because in the beginning, you know... We, you know, the, the kind of mutual agreement we have is we, we're making a film which is about the conditions of love between a Thai woman and a Danish man and the lives that you guys live together for good and bad um, to try and counter some of the sort of 
prejudice stereotypes that exist around your marriages. Let's show people what it's really like. And this is a good starting point. And I think that's how most documentaries of this, of this sort start out. But then um, I think over the years they, they, they began to see you know, themselves as agents of change in terms of migration stories, in terms of you know, global inequality, in terms of where they came from in Thailand, in terms of inspiring other people to, to, to speak up um, and not be ashamed. And, I, and, and this notion of not being ashamed is very intimately tied to the notion of dignity. And I think for, for us, the, you know, the film was really about people striving to achieve a sense of dignity, both for the men and for the women. You know? it's, it's undignified to live a life of poverty. It's also undignified to live a life of, of loneliness. Does separation have on the families uh, and villages these women leave behind? The longing for their for their mothers. Over the, I mean, when when the mothers initially start to to travel to Denmark and they have to leave the children behind for some time before they can uh, get them to Denmark, that's really a very painful um, some painful years for for the children and for the mothers, which we also really document in the in the film. Um, and then they are left behind in the villages with their with their grandmothers, and that of course then they they bring up um, the grandparents bring up the children, and uh, that loneliness and that longing for the mothers over the years is really something that uh, that is excruciating for for the children, mm. and and which follows them over many years in Denmark the the fact that their mother. Uh, on the one hand, had to leave them behind, and on the other hand, did so many things for them in order to make a better life for them. It's a, it's, I think it's a small number of women still that go over to Denmark, but does it have sort of a, like an economic impact at all? I mean, there are two things going on at the same time. On the one hand, there's the women sending money back, which means that the children can go to better schools, mm. um, that the, the parents can go to hospitals, you can build better houses, uh, Maybe you can buy a car or something that you need in order to work in the fields. So on the one hand, the Thai women are doing very much what you, from a political perspective, could expect the Thai state to do. So they are really carrying the burden of of what a government, maybe in a in an ideal world, should be able to provide for. On the other hand, there's also a lot of concern for all these children who are left behind in this particular area of, of uh, Thailand, uh, who are left behind with their grandparents uh, and depends upon the upbringing of their grandparents, which have taken place for many years in Thailand. But now when the mothers are so far away, it's not that they have just traveled south to Bangkok or surrounding countries. They are all the way in Europe. Uh, so they're bringing up the children through Skype and FaceTime. And this tra- transnational way of mothering is really something very particular to this area in in uh, in northeast Thailand, where we have filmed, do you know what um, either the Danish or the Thai governments uh, do? They have any? Have they said anything about these types of marriages happening? Do they? Um, I, I guess are the women in Thai, uh, that go to Denmark? Do they have like rights when they arrive? Like, what's their citizenship uh, prospects when they arrive in in Denmark? 
After seven years being with a Danish man, they will get a permanent residency. So, of course, over those seven years, they're also vulnerable if they are in a domestic abuse relationship or, you know, then they, if they leave the man, they have to go back to Thailand. Yeah, so that that's one thing. But the other thing is, of course, these kind of of marriage, this kind of marriage mi migration and sex work is also something that over the years have be been really kind of... Um, stigmatizing for Thailand as a nation uh, that they have really tried to kind of not talk so much about or really frowned upon from more the elite parts of Thailand and what was really interesting to see when we had the pre-premiere in this local community in in Thu was that the Danish or the, the Thai embassy showed up hmm. and that was really a, a kind of an acknowledgement to the Thai women is saying that actually maybe there's a change in the perspective from the Thai government to say that we also understand the struggles that you are facing and we appreciate that you are here in Denmark and we at least in some way or the other um, Except that that's, that you are changing your lives through these kind of migrations. Yeah, so what was that like for them to? I guess it was a huge moment that. for yeah. the people in the film because you know they've always been frowned upon by the official Thailand. You know, these are rural women that take choices that women should not take uh, if, from a middle class female perspective in Thailand. So the fact that the embassy came to the, the premiere in Denmark and stood by them, and um, that was that really was a moment of pride, and and again showed them what I talked about before that they, you know that they taken ownership of their stories had impacted also the the sort of the views of of the official time at least from the from the you know the Thai embassy in Denmark. Um, so that that recognition was was um, a really special moment for these women. Some of these relationships uh, they don't work out for whatever reason. Um, could you just talk a bit about you know what maybe why why some of these relationships don't work for whatever reason? Like why why do why do some? I don't want to mention any names because I don't want to give away yeah. uh, the ending. But I'm just uh, curious to know why these relationships don't always last. For men, I mean, of course, for m multiple reasons, like any other marriages. But um, but often I have experienced in my work that it's about this contract in in the in this among this group of uh, men and women. This contract of taking care of your family in Thailand on the one hand, and also raising a family in Denmark, and uh, and so there's this collective need from the women mm -hmm. and this what you can say more individual need maybe from the man right. and and if that clashes the collective versus the individual needs and desires that's often when I see that that uh, that there are divorces so when the man doesn't uh, accept that the women would like to send money back to Thailand for instance that would raise a conflict yeah. and then there's also cultural differences how do you raise up children Uh, different religious backgrounds. He's a ma majority. He speaks Danish. He understands Danish culture, and where she re she really depends upon him. So the divorce rate is 65 percent, and wow. where, whereas Danish Danish couples are if, around 50 percent. What's it like as a filmmaker to capture moments like that, uh, where you know they're having maybe a, an argument? Uh, there's some. I mean, you're in a very intimate part of their lives. What's it like to be in the room for that? Well, I think when when you make documentaries, 
um, you know, you build a trust relationship with the people that you film, and and the generosity uh, that you know is shown to you over the years that allows you to be present with people in 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 moments of great despair and moments of great happiness in in you know if there's a, an argument in, a, in between a married couple you somehow became become a natural part of that mm. i mean there is an ex, there there is a uh, you, you know there there is a limit when things become too much or too personal when you'd say okay this is not for me i'm going to leave you guys here and i'm going to you know stop the camera early on in this project we made two uh, one hour films for danish television and and the and these people became sort of tv darlings overnight uh and then we returned to them seven years later to start filming again so they they had that trust in us you know they knew that we could handle their their stories and 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 um and they allowed us to film, you know, um, in in very difficult situations. So, so as long as you as long as you protect and and respect and 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 love the people that you're filming, um, then it doesn't become an expose. Then it then it serves another purpose, and um, and then you're allowed to be in the room. And if people feel that from you, then then they allow you to be in the room because they also want to share. This is what I talked about about taking ownership. They really want to put their stories out there. They want you to be there. That's a great place to leave it. I thank you so much for talking with me about the film. It's a great, great movie. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's the podcast. Thanks to our guests Giannis and Cena for joining us today. Make sure to look out for Heartbound when it comes to a theater near you. If you liked what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and better yet, tell a friend. You want to get in touch? Write us at ondocs at tvo.org, and follow me on Twitter at ColinEllis81. Thanks to producers Chantal Berganza and Matthew O'Mara. Also want to thank our production support coordinator, Caitlin Plummer, and our podcast manager, Hannah Sung. And a big thanks to all the people at TVO who provide help behind the scenes. We'll catch you at the next screening. <laughs>